Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake does the heavy lifting. You can help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. I'm Jody Pakel. Thank you so much for rocking with us. Quick housekeeping note as we get this party started, last time we had one of these longer form videos, I sat here in front of you and I said, hey, one, thank you for letting me have this job. Two, we want to get to 10,000 and we want you a part of it. We're, we're very close and want you a part of it. By the time that video aired, we had already surpassed 10,000 subscribers. At the time of this recording, we're at around 10,500 subscribers. So one, thank you for joining the party. Two, we're going to keep it rolling, and we're doing Twitter spaces every Tuesday at 1 Eastern, 12 Central, and those are a lot of fun, a great way for us to interact and continue to be the people show, which is what I like to think that we are, and again, that's a testament and a credit to y'all. Second order of business, we are on podcast, both Spotify and Apple, wherever you get your podcast, you can rock with myself and Nick Brake. Again, on a daily basis, we get this party rolling. So today, we are just about finished up with talking season. And it wouldn't be appropriate for us to finish this season up without calling our shot. 
So we're gonna call our shot at the end of this video, talk about some predictions for each Power Five conference, the college football playoff. But before that, we're gonna get into the Texas quarterback room, both the present and the future. Hint, hint, wink, wink, Arch Manning. Gonna talk about the pulse of the program in Happy Valley, the Penn State and the Lions. A lot to talk about under James Franklin there. Some exciting things going on. Gonna take a pulse of that program. But first and foremost, you can smell it in the air. You have the sunscreen, you have the bug spray, you smell the s'mores, it is camping season, so we'll jump first and foremost into some SEC Camp Intel. Camp Intel is one of the best parts about this job, being able to talk to some of our experts, our insiders at various universities and hear from them, hey, what's going on inside? Well, I mean, you, you, you read the ticker and you read the preseason magazine, but what's going on so far about a week into camp? Well, like I said, we're going to whip around three SEC schools and give you the intel, give you the inside scoop, if you will. Starting at Auburn, Justin Hokinson over there at Auburn Live does the Lord's work I would recommend following him on Twitter if you haven't. Go check out that website if you haven't. But he hit me with a few bullet points. First and foremost, there is optimism on the offensive line. He said they've looked stronger and faster than they did in the past so far in fall camp. And some of that is a testament to the strength conditioning staff. Harson said, hey, we made that a point of emphasis for our staff, for the offensive line. We knew they had to transform. We knew they had to take it up a notch in order for us to compete in the SEC. That's going to be crucial for Tank Bigsby as he gets his legs under him again in 2022. The second tidbit he gave me was Zach Calzada has not yet sprinted away with this job. Now, he's still the front runner, don't get it twisted, but so far into camp, he's yet to take hold of that job and squeeze the life out of it. Now, there's two opinions I have on this. The first is, well, you'd like him to do that, right? You'd like Zach Calzada to step in there and be the sheriff day one. Fair enough. The other piece of this is, hey, folks, it's like the first week of fall camp. I mean, they haven't even scrimmaged yet. They haven't even had a real game-like scenario yet. Let's all just... Pump the brakes. If you haven't already, if you didn't even worry about that tidbit, that's fine. But if you're worried at all about Zach Calzada being the guy at Auburn, I wouldn't. It's just way too early to do any of that. Still the first week of fall camp. We're going to learn a lot about that quarterback race when it comes to the scrimmage on Saturday. I've said this about the race. I'll say it about other races. Whoever wins that quarterback job, good. Because your head coach is betting his meal ticket on that quarterback especially Brian Harson, which we'll talk about, I'm assuming, at a later date. It's, it's very obvious. Like, hey, you got to win a lot of games. What number of games you need to win, I don't know. I don't think Brian Harson even knows. But they have to win and win convincingly for him to keep his job. The quarterback position is a big part of that. The third piece of this, or the third tidbit that I got from Justin Hokinson talking about Auburn, they're really excited about freshman wide receiver Camden Brown. To use Justin's words, he said they haven't had a guy like Camden Brown at Auburn in a minute. And if you watch this show or if you just follow Auburn in general, you know the wide receiver position is a spot they're watching very closely. Because ultimately, the word unproven comes to mind when you're talking about that group. Not that they don't have talent, not that they don't have guys that can produce and do some good things, but there's a lot of guys that just haven't done it consistently yet on the outside at Auburn. And so Camden Brown comes in as a freshman from St. Thomas Aquinas, a really well-respected program in the state of Florida, steps in there, 
And Auburn had two rookie practices, meaning, okay, if you're a freshman or a rookie, quote unquote, we're going to let you get your feet wet before, you know, you get in with the veterans before fall camp really ramps up. So I'm, that's great. Have the training wheels. Let these kids get rolling. Folks, Camden Brown had one practice and they said, hey, we, we're, we're good. We've seen enough. We've seen enough. You can go with the veterans. I'm not saying he's winning the Heisman Trophy. I'm not saying he's going to be a thousand-yard receiver. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is the Auburn staff is very excited about Camden Brown. The vibe is still good in-house at Auburn, I think is the biggest takeaway. A lot of things happened this past offseason leading up to fall camp. I love what Brian Harson said at Media Day. Went gangbusters, said, y'all didn't think I would be here. Pretty much flexed on the whole media scene. I absolutely loved it. In-house, they feel good about who they are at Auburn, and I think that's a very good thing. To have that belief in-house is where it all has to start. Moving right along, we go to Baton Rouge. Talk to Billy M. Body at Bengal Tiger, which is our LSU site for On3. And LSU is a program that is uh, very interesting to watch because there is so much talent in the state of Louisiana that we expect Brian Kelly's going to get that thing headed uh, to an elite place in the very near future. But what does it look like in 2022? Even more so, what's going on at fall camp? Well, we'll talk about it. The quarterback, excuse me, we'll, we'll start that over here. You and me, we'll start that over. The quarterback competition is very mad, is very much up for grabs. Okay, so Jane Daniels, Miles Brennan, Garrett Nussmeyer, all getting reps. As of right now, it's just that. They're getting reps. Nobody is, is taking hold of the job just yet, but they're not doing a down and distance sort of setting either. So Brian Kelly was pretty frank. He said, you're not going to see somebody separate in this competition for at least another week. So right now, the quarterbacks are all just going with a conglomerate of different personnel. There's no ones and twos. There's no starter or there's no third string. Everybody is getting reps. And that's how it should be your first week of fall camp. You see what guys are looking like after they're back from spring, uh, after they've had their two weeks of summer, which is really what it is, the Division I level. You get about two weeks or so of summer, then you're back to campus. How did they use that time? How have they progressed? How have they done with their summer workouts? Right now, you're learning a lot about those guys in their summer. And so the quarterback competition is going to take shape. Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator, said, I'd love to have a guy sooner rather than later to get ready for week one, but we don't have a timeline. This thing's going to take its time. Right now, they're all getting reps. We move forward, okay? So you know how I feel about this. I think you'll probably see all three of these guys play. I think Garrett Nussmeyer, long-term, is your answer. How quickly does he become the answer? Is it in 2022? I don't know, but I think Miles Brennan takes that first snap of this season for you at LSU. The other piece that I thought was really insightful talking about the camp intel that we have at LSU is Kayshawn Butte is practicing. If you know Kayshawn Butte, if you followed LSU or national college football at all, is a freak show receiver, has got the number seven jersey. It was his first time to rock it, was hurt in the spring. And Kayshawn Butte, it was somewhat well documented. He and Brian Kelly, let's just say rift, okay? They're, they're, it, it, if we're reading between the lines, Brian Kelly made it sound like, hey, Kayshawn Butte still has some ways to go in terms of buying into what we're doing here. And so far, the report from fall camp, the intel is Brian Kelly and Kayshawn Butte are in a good place. 
not they were ever in a bad place, but they were in a good place. And Brian Kelly was very complimentary of Keyshawn Butte. He said he practices really hard. He's so committed. He works so hard. He's still figuring out how to practice the way we want to practice but he's committed and we're really pleased with how he's bought in. To have your number one receiver, one of the best receivers in the country, bought into what your head coach is doing in the day and age of the portal, that's a really good thing. That's good. Uh, that's a good momentum for LSU, good momentum for the offense. Another guy that I'm watching really closely, five-star running back John Emery, is someone who missed most of last season due to academic standing. And I think this is the year he puts it all together. And that's what they're saying in fall camp is he's looked really great. He's putting it all together. He's, he's showing a lot of good things on the field so far. It's still early. It's still just P and 10, meaning we're not actually going to situational football yet. From what we've been able to see so far, he's looked solid. And finally, he said, we got two true freshman freak shows. You have Harold Perkins, linebacker, and you have Quincy Wiggins, the defensive lineman. Both of them four and five stars. They're going to be studs for LSU. Now, is it in 2022 or is it beyond when they get their legs more under them? I don't know. But the fact that we're talking about these guys as standouts already in their first fall camp, that tells me that LSU is getting back to being LSU. They're getting back to their old ways because we've talked about it. If you think about what LSU is traditionally, it's freak show linebackers like Harold Perkins, the five-star, freak show defensive linemen like Quincy Wiggins, four-star defensive linemen, and they fly around on defense. They come downhill with bad intentions, and they wreak havoc. So to have two guys that, in the early going, in the first week of fall camp, you're excited about, very, very good sign for Tiger fans, and the direction of their football program in the long term. Both those guys, uh, their movement was complimented by Brian Kelly, said that they have a, a different gear almost, is kind of the, the feel around those guys. A lot of excitement in Baton Rouge right now. We move to Florida. On to Gainesville and Billy Napier, Mr. Scare Money, Don't Make No Money, one of the coolest quotes in all of college football. They got their fall camp on and popping, and we talked to Nick De La Torre of Gators Online. He does great work. Follow him on Twitter. Check out that website. And he was actually in the car driving to practice, talking to me, saying, here's the lowdown, here's the, the things you need to know, here's the early intel right now for Florida on fall camp, which I was very grateful for. The feeling is depth is, is kind of the, the key word, right? And it's going to be something that you talk about pretty much anywhere you go talking about fall camp. But he said, on the defensive line, you have bookends. You have great depth at the edge rusher position, he said in the middle of that defense, though, you have Jervon Dexter. And then past that, you're, you know, you got to have somebody else step up, right? You got to have somebody else that can help him. So fall camp returns on that aren't looking great, depending on how you want to look at it. But I think there's an open space, more or less, for somebody to step up and take control. Because you look at Florida a year ago, they gave up 164 yards on the ground. Fair amount of that has to do with the interior defensive line. So you got to have somebody else step up. Now, like we were talking about, they look good on the edge. 17th in the country a year ago in terms of sack percentage. Brenton Cox is a bad man. Nick De La Torre says, hey, they're three or four deep at the edge position here at Florida, which is obviously a very good thing. And you talk about on the offensive side of the ball, when you look at depth, they're going to have four of their five starters back on the offensive line. 
You may not see all four of those guys start, which is actually a really good thing if you're talking about the offensive line at Florida because somebody came in and stole that job from a starter a year ago. So they feel good about what they have there. Then you also are three to four deep at the running back position. Uh, Montreal Johnson, a guy from Louisiana they're really excited about. He transferred, looked good in the spring. Naquan Wright, another guy who they expect to carry the load quite a bit. So if it's running back by committee, that's not a bad thing. Ultimately, it's just going to help AR get more comfortable to be able to hand the ball off on third and one and feel good about getting it. That just makes your quarterback so much more comfortable. So the depth they have, both at running back and offensive line, is something they're excited about early in fall camp. Now, a name that Nick De La Torre told me to keep an eye on is freshman corner Devin Moore. Was a late addition to this class, a Billy Napier ad, and he told me, hey, he, he may not win the starting job at corner, but he's going to compete for it. He's rotating a lot with the ones and twos. He's someone to be excited about. And when you think about corners that have played at Florida as true freshmen, I mean, some of the guys that have played earlier are guys like Vernon Hargraves, guys like Joe Hayden, guys like Janoris Jenkins, and it's, it's a pretty small group. So to add a guy like Devin Moore to that elite company of corners that have played early, played as freshmen at Florida, you got to feel really excited about what he's going to bring to the table. So a lot of good takeaways there in terms of fall camp intel within the SEC. We're going to keep doing this. It is one of the many benefits of being able to be in this position and be able to talk college football with all of the phenomenal assets we have across the network. Again, if you haven't yet checked out any of these websites, I recommend you do so at on3.com. Moving right along. The Texas Longhorn quarterback room is going to be one of the most visible quarterback rooms in the country. I mean, to, to call it what it is, because you have a guy like Quinn Ewers, who has now transferred in, and you have a guy like Arch Manning, who is verbally committed to the Longhorns for the future. And so I want to take a look at this, the present and then the future of the Texas Longhorns. Because as fun as it is to talk recruiting, as fun as it is and as good for traction as it is to talk about Arch Manning, which we're not necessarily super in the business of doing, but chasing traction, that is, we have to talk about fall camp because that's what's right in front of us. And for Longhorn fans, you more or less assume it's going to be Quinn Ewers as your starting quarterback. And that's fine, but there's still the reality of, okay, kind of putting your fingers together and looking around and saying, well, why hasn't he been named the starting quarterback yet? I mean, Quinn, you came back home to play, brother. You came back to be the starter in Austin. I don't think you came to Austin to sit on the bench. And I think that's true. But I think we need to take a look as to why he hasn't been named the starter. I don't think it has anything to do with playing. I think by most accounts, by most reports, he's looked really good in the spring at Texas and then so far in fall camp. But I think ultimately what this comes down to is Steve Sarkeesian. There could be a piece of this with him trying to uh, keep depth with Hudson Card. But I think even more so, the, the narrative is, hey, I'm going to let these guys get into pads, right? First week of fall camp, I'm going to let these guys both go out there and actually play football before I name the starting quarterback for my football team. Novel, I know. And I have a lot of respect for Steve Sarkeesian for doing that. Because if I'm Hudson Card and I'm named the second stringer before we even get into pads in fall camp, I would feel like I did not get a fair shake. And Hudson Card at times last year 
looked serviceable, looked solid for Texas. Now, ultimately, wasn't the guy, and I think that was the right move. But Hudson Card has proven he's not a, a slouch of a quarterback. Now, is he going to be the starter for Texas? I don't know, but we were in Twitter spaces the other day, actually, and like I said, we do Twitter spaces every Tuesday, 1 Eastern, 12 Central. We had Justin Wells jump on there, and he was basically saying, look, Hudson Card, if he has a big jump to, to year two for him, that'd be great. Like, like That's possible. Obviously, it's great, but it's possible, I think, is more so the point he was trying to drive home. So Hudson Card, do you know what you have in him? Maybe so, but the kid's still just getting acclimated to this new system. It was his first year in the system last year as well, just like everybody else. And so if Quinn Ewers isn't named the starter right away, even after they get a week or two into fall camp, two weeks into fall camp, it's it, there's, there's no cause to sound the alarm. It might not be a commentary on Quinn Ewers. It might be more so a commentary on Hudson Card just taking a jump in year two in this system, just making it tough on Steve Sarkeesian. And I want to make sure I say this because I have a lot of respect for Hudson Card because even if Queen Ewers were to be named the starter out of spring, I don't think you see Hudson Hudson Card hit the portal. I really don't. I think Hudson Card likes to be in Austin. I think he likes to be a Longhorn, and I think that matters to him. I think that's important to him to be a Longhorn. Hudson Card, a guy that, for the most part, to my understanding, grew up in Austin, went to Lake Travis, He's an Austin guy through and through. He's in the McCombs Business School, which, if you don't know, folks, that's a pretty nice feather in your cap to have regardless of what you do on the 40 acres on the football field. That's a pretty nice piece of paper to leave with. So I think he's bought into Texas for the time being. Now, if he graduates and hits the portal, whole other conversation. But I respect Hudson Card for sticking with it and saying, no, I know Quinn Ewers came here to play. I know he came here to be the starter. But guess what? It's been my dream to be a Longhorn my whole life. And I'm living it. And I'm in one of the best business programs in the world. So no, I'm not leaving. To paraphrase, quote, Wolf of Wall Street and Leo DiCaprio. I'm not leaving. Now, ultimately, I do believe it'll be Quinn Ewers. I think it'll be him before the end of fall camp. And I think he wins the job. Just too much talent. And there's too many weapons with this Death Star offense at Texas to play somebody who you have second guesses about as a quarterback. Not saying that's Hudson Card, just saying that's not a reality you're going to live in. I think Quinn Ewers wins the job. Now, looking forward to the future, it has been very well publicized that Arch Manning has committed to the Texas Longhorns. And people on the 40 acres are excited, to say the least. Like, there is a lot of juice. I mean, even, even right now, as Arch Manning is sitting in classes as a high school senior, people are saying, yeah. Well, yeah, this, this year will be fun. It'll be great. Quinn Ewers going to be there. It's going to be awesome. But Arch Manning gets here soon. When Arch gets here, oh, it's all, all bets are off, baby. We're winning the Natty every single year. That's great. I'm not here to rent in your parade. What I am here to talk about is there is a segment of the population that is concerned about Arch Manning driving away Quinn Ewers. First of all, it's been fairly well documented or fairly well talked about, at least, that Arch Manning's probably going to redshirt, and I think they're happy about that. But even more so, I want to make this clear. Arch Manning committed to Texas knowing Quinn Ewers was there. There wasn't some sort of, gotcha, we got Quinn Ewers, so actually you have to sit a year. That was, that's never the case, okay? That was never the narrative for Arch Manning. Actually, sounds like Quinn Ewers was pretty involved in, in Arch Manning's visit to Texas, Sounds like he was actually pretty instrumental. Sounds like there's a good relationship there. So 
for Arch Manning, he's on board with what's going on here. I think the hope is that you have Arch Manning redshirt. Quinn Ewers has two great years, and he's off to the NFL. I think all parties would agree that's probably what they would like to have happen in a perfect world. And then at that point in time, Arch Manning, Malik Murphy, duel it out, may the best man win. What I want to make sure we talk about, though, is quarterback depth for great teams, it's not just encouraged, it's commonplace. I mean, look at Alabama. You got Bryce Young, you got Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow is not just sitting back there saying, man, I can't wait... I got I to gotta beat out Bryce Young. I'm just, I can't wait to play. He's saying, no, I'm, I'm sticking to the script. I'm in a really good program. When it's my time, it'll be my time, and I'll be ready. Same thing for Arch Manning. He understands, okay, I'm going to stick to the script. I'm going to wait till I'm ready. I'm going to learn as much as I can in this redshirt year. When it's go time, it's go time. So the narrative that Arch Manning is somehow – going to push out Quinn Ewers, that there's going to be some sort of quarterback battle when he gets on campus. I don't buy into that. And I think you shouldn't buy into that either, quite frankly, because I don't think that's worth your time. So ultimately, to put a finer point on this, Arch Manning coming to Austin, yes, going to redshirt Quinn Ewers' team unless something unforeseen happens. So that's that. The Pulse of the Program series continues as we make our way to Happy Valley, talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions. We put our two fingers on the wrist. Wait a second. One, two, three. Okay, we got it. The Penn State Nittany Lions are coming off a two-year stretch in which they are 500. Now, for some teams, for some programs, they would give their left arm a kicker and a bag of Doritos to have that record in the last two years. Not the case in Penn State. Not the, not the case at State College. They're saying, okay, we're getting anxious. We have the brand to where we feel like we should compete for the Big Ten every single year. We should compete with the Ohio States. We should compete with the Michigans, the Michigan States. And that hasn't really been the case. Not to say they haven't done it. They've done it under James Franklin, but they haven't done it in recent enough history for their liking. And so you know how we do this. We're going to take the pulse internally, the people in the locker room, we're going to expand on that pulse of the fan base that we sort of just gave you. I think it probably is more or less in lockstep. I don't think the fan base or the locker room would disagree with the pulse we just gave you. But we're going to go more in depth and then give you my diagnosis at the end of this. So the pulse of the locker room, of the program, if you will, is we're optimistic. But we're not going to open our mouth about it. Because James Franklin is, I don't want to say notorious, but he's well known for being an optimistic kind of coach. Comes out every single year and says, you know, doesn't say this is the year, but he says everything but this is the year, if that makes sense. I mean, he, he brings on a lot of this hype. He's excited about it, and he believes it's warranted, which that's how I want my coach to approach every single season for the record. James Franklin is my kind of guy. Now, the difference in 2022 is James Franklin essentially said, okay, yeah, I'm optimistic. Surprise, surprise, I'm optimistic. But I'm not going to be rah-rah about it. I'm going to be optimistic. They'll go prove it on the field. I love that approach, personally. I think you should fear the quiet man. 
And if James Franklin is that quiet man, I would be nervous around him, okay? So let's just make that clear. Sean Clifford, six-year quarterback. He's coming back one more time. If he were in the NFL, he'd be collecting his pension. I love it. Nick Singleton is a guy they're really excited about. He's going to be a five-star true freshman running back. There's a feeling around State College, hey, he may not be the guy game one, but eventually I think he's going to be the bell cow. He'll get the job long-term. So a lot of excitement and there needs to be excitement in that running back room because they did not have a 100-yard rusher last year. Folks, it is really, really hard to win a football game when you can't run the ball. When your quarterback is running for his life every other play because they know they can pin their ears back and blitz you off the edge, not have to worry about anything you're doing underneath, it's hard to win football games that way. But to get back to the point of this, the internal feeling is we feel good about us. We feel good about what we have in-house. We're not going to talk about it. We're ready to roll. The pulse of the fan base is a little bit unique. There is two sides to the Penn State fan base. And we only mention this because we think it's probably a larger percentage of the population than average. Because you always have the, the fans that are just morbidly pessimistic or you know just, just want to make noise on message boards. You have that in every fan base. The thought in state college is, hey, that percentage that's more pessimistic is probably labeling themselves more so as realistic heading into 2022. And that group is basically saying, we're out on James Franklin. That's their feeling. Hey, we're out on James Franklin. And, you know, until we win the Big Ten championship again, we're going to be out. Sorry. We've seen what we need to see. 500 over the last two years, not good enough for us. We're excited about the future, but like honestly, play them this year. Play all the freshmen this year, and we'll go from there. So that's one side. Now, the other side of this fan base is saying, we're in for the ride. We are in for the ride. James Franklin, you're our guy. We'll roll with you till the wheels fall off. Sean Clifford, we'll roll with you one more time till your wheels fall off, and we'll go as you go. Come what may, we're, we're ready to roll. We got six guys coming back on offense, six guys coming back on defense. That's a pretty decent returning production level. I mean, we're ready to roll. And I would side much more with my diagnosis with that second group. And I don't mean to paint an overly pessimistic version of what a percentage of this fan base is feeling like, but there is a sector that's feeling like, hey, we're Penn State. For us to go 500 the last two years, that's not okay with us. And you know that's not okay with us, which is what hurts. Now, my diagnosis for Penn State, like I said, falls more in line with it's okay to be hopeful. With a guy like Sean Clifford who has shown he's no Joe Schmo playing quarterback back there. I mean, he hasn't had his best two years the last two years. But some of that's due with injury. Some of that's with COVID. Like, he hasn't had a perfect set of circumstances to roll with here, okay? To be fair, he's shown he can play. Came out of high school, very highly recruited, very highly touted. Dude can play. He just needs somebody else to run the football behind him. He needs a little bit more resources around him, if you will, which is funny to say because that's kind of the same tune that James Franklin's singing on a much broader scale. Hey, administration, I need more. I need more resources. I need something to help us with recruiting, I need more NIL support. I need more facility support. I need something else that I can do here because you're sort of tying my hands. 
Now, James Franklin's not being as vocal as I'm being, but we're, we're reading between the lines here, and James Franklin is saying, I need more to do more. If you want us to compete against Ohio State, you want us to compete against Michigan, well, then help me help you. Because I can coach football if I'm James Franklin. I know how to drop the X's and the O's. That's not the issue. The issue is can we get the kids here that need to be here for us to get that done. So that's Penn State for you. Internally, optimistic, they're done talking about it. The fan base, a little bit fractured. You have some that are just ready to play the freshman this year and say, hey, we're, we're worried about 2023. And you have a portion of this fan base that's saying, hey, we're in for the ride. I think that's probably the better way to go if you're a Penn State faithful. So, as we move forward into the beautiful thing that is college football season, it is only right for us to call our shot. Because come January, there's going to be a lot of people out there saying, man, I knew it. Or, man, I had them picked, or whatever it is. And we'd like to be one of those people, to be 100% honest with you. Also, at this point in time, comment below, who are your Power 5 conference winners and who's making the college football playoff? Because I'm about to give you mine. So we just went conference by conference and picked a division winner for each of those divisions within that conference, if that makes sense, for those that apply. Gave you our championship game within the conference. Give you our college football playoff ultimately ending with who we're picking to win the national title. Without further ado, in the Big Ten, I have Ohio State coming out of the East, and I have Minnesota coming out of the West. Now, Minnesota's probably the one that you're raising the eyebrow at. I understand. I'm not here to talk about P.J. Fleck rowing the boat, although I love that juice. I think if you're juiceless, you're useless. But looking at what they have coming back, Tanner Morgan, not unlike Sean Clifford, is going on his 27th year of college football. And then Muhammad Ibrahim is a guy I'm really excited to watch. Was phenomenal in 2020, got hurt in 2021. If you remember correctly, in that very first game when they played Ohio State, Muhammad Ibrahim kind of had Ohio State on the ropes. Now, I'm not here to talk about that game specifically, in terms of what it's going to translate to for Minnesota. But I am saying that I think Minnesota is the team that ultimately comes out of the West. You can make some money with it on Vegas. I'm just saying. In the Big 12, they don't do divisions there. They talk about one true champion. I'm here for it. The Big 12, I have Oklahoma. I think that Jeff Lebby and Dylan Gabriel will get to a quick start. And in a conference where there are so many transitions and so many things going on within different programs there, I think this is the perfect setup for Oklahoma to hit the ground running with a quarterback and OC that already know what they're doing, with a head coach that gets his first year, but he gets Oklahoma. He's going to bring a level of competitiveness and an edge on defense to Oklahoma they haven't had there in a minute. And I think that's going to be a perfect mix, if you will, to get the right product to Oklahoma, to allow them to get into the Big 12 championship game. And then we have them playing Baylor. Baylor, not unlike other teams in this conference, is going through their own transition. Dave Aranda told Gary Bohannon, he said, hey, I appreciate what you did here. I appreciate you got us to a Big 12 title. We're going with Blake Shapin. 
credit to him. They're going to be a little bit more vertical in what they do this year. They're going to throw the ball a little bit more, still have that wide zone where they get downhill and still hand it off to the running back and play in the trenches with their offensive line that has just about everybody back. The defense is who I'm feeling confident in under Dave Aranda and Ron Roberts. They're just football geniuses, folks. They know how to get it done. They're going to get it done. So I'm siding with Baylor to ultimately be one of the teams that plays in that Big 12 title game. Now, I'm taking Oklahoma to win the Big 12. I think ultimately too much juice on offense for Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy. I think they get it done and win the Big 12. Moving on to the ACC. I think Clemson comes out of the Atlantic. That's probably not a surprise to you. I have Miami coming out of the Coastal. I think the Mario Cristobal experiment works in year one. Not so much experiment. I think the Mario Cristobal effort pays dividends in year one, not unlike it will in Oklahoma. And I think that this team takes on his persona, takes on his edge that we haven't seen Miami have in a while. I think Tyler Van Dyke continues to progress and shows a lot of people why he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He makes a statement in 2022. So I like Tyler Van Dyke of Miami to make it to the championship game. However, I think Clemson wins the ACC because that front seven is ridiculous. Like, to, to put it simply, they're ridiculous, full of Transformers, Power Rangers, and the Boogeyman. That's who they have in the front seven. Now, if they get just marginally better production from the quarterback spot, I'm not even saying it has to be DJ Uyunglele. If you watch this show, you know I feel good about him to a degree, based on what Dabo Sweeney has said. You know I feel okay about DJ, but even if it's not DJ... If they just get a little bit better, it could be Hunter Johnson for all I care. It could be Cade Klubnick. If they get someone who is capable of having a decent level of production at quarterback. I mean, the, the bus will drive itself, folks. The defense is that good. So I think Clemson ultimately wins the ACC. And then in the SEC, Bama wins the West. Georgia wins the East. Probably the most boring prediction you're going to get. I wanted to look at this a million different ways and say, well, what if Tennessee comes out of the East? What if, what if, what if Florida comes out of the East? I, I couldn't pick against Kirby Smart is ultimately what it comes down to. Eight new guys on defense. Stetson Bennett says, run that back, Turbo. I want to win another ring. Ultimately, I think Bama is just motivated. Like To put it simply, Bama has tasted their own blood. You have a motivated Alabama team. And I don't know if there's a more dangerous thing in college football, to be honest with you. A motivated Alabama team and a smiling, positive Nick Saban is just going to wreak havoc on everybody else. So I think ultimately, Georgia puts forth a valiant effort. They do more on offense this year to be able to get back to this kind of game. But I think Bama wins the SEC. Then we move on to the Pac-12 who took advantage of the rule change and said, no divisions, we don't need those anymore? Great, we're out. They're like, wait, next year? No, no, this year, we're out. No more divisions. Say, okay, great, may the best team win. I think you see Utah and USC in the Pac-12 championship game. USC just has so much firepower. Like, if they rolled the ball out tomorrow and just cut the rest of fall practice short, said, okay, you're, you know, that's enough time, go play USC has so many playmakers to where I think they'd still be able to score 30 a game, if not 40. Like they, they have that much firepower. Now, the issue with USC is the toughness and the trenches. It's not a knock on USC. It's just a matter of getting your guys in still if you're Lincoln Riley. So they could do it. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I think USC gets the Pac-12 championship game, but the toughness and experience of Utah is ultimately what gets it done. Utah is a team that... 
is probably the most sure of itself in the entire country. I love that about Kyle Whittingham and what he's done at Utah, the kind of program and culture he's built. And they're going to play good defense. And they're going to play tough on offense and in the trenches. And they're going to run the ball at you. And they're going to throw it when they need to. That's Utah. Unfortunately for USC, I think that's the exact formula that they can't account for just yet under Lincoln Riley. They're going to get there. I I truly believe they will. They're going to get there, but in year one under Lincoln Riley, I think it's a Pac-12 title appearance, not a Pac-12 title win. So that's it. So to go down this list, to recap for you, Ohio State wins the Big Ten. Oklahoma wins the Big 12. Clemson takes home the ACC belt, and you got Bama winning the SEC. Utah comes out of the Pac-12. So to look at this college football playoff picture, someone's got to get left out of that Power 5, right? Assuming there's no Gang of Five team that somehow crashes the party again and shows up. I don't think we see that again this year. What I do think will happen, though, is we're going to see the Pac-12 get left out. Now, how that would be reversed, I suppose, is if you were somehow to run the table and be undefeated. If you're an undefeated Pac-12 champion, I don't think you get left out. I don't know that I see Utah winning the Pac-12 with less than one loss is the unfortunate reality for me. So with that being said, in my college football playoff, I have Bama as a one seed. I think they go undefeated. I think you have Ohio State. They could also be undefeated. They may have a loss somewhere on the schedule. You could have a weird thing happen. It is college football, the greatest game in the world. So you could have a little bit of parity, a little bit of sneakiness, if you will, which is why we love the game so much. But I think Ohio State still finds their way in with one loss, if not less, as the two seed. I got Clemson as the three seed. Clemson may need to go undefeated to get it done. Just to call a spade a spade. Clemson, based on their schedule and based on what the ACC is bringing to the table historically, they might need a little bit of style points to get there. But I think they end up in that three spot, and then Oklahoma will end up in the four spot. I think Oklahoma has one loss. The Big 12 might just be a little bit of a... Gladiator, knockdown, drag out, fight to the death kind of conference this year. But I think Oklahoma will have the juice on offense to overcome one loss and ultimately win the whole deal. So in terms of what I think the college football championship game will be like, the national title, I think, and this is boring, the natty is going to be Alabama and Ohio State. They are the two most talented teams in the country. They are two of the best coach teams in the country. And they have the quarterback spot right in spades with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. And they have the playmaker position right. I say playmaker position. They have playmakers at a myriad of positions, especially on defense for Alabama. I think the Ohio State defense will be improved, and they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to win a lot of track meets. But I think Alabama, at the end of the day, when all the dust settles, Like I just said a second ago, you're going to have a motivated Alabama team and a smiling Nick Saban when he's holding that trophy up at the end of the year. I'm picking the Alabama Crimson Tide to bring home the national title. Nothing more dangerous than a motivated Bama and a smiling Nick Saban. So that's it for us here on The Hard Count. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is an absolute dream for me. This is so incredible. I pinch myself every day. I walk into work. I'm like, this is just absolutely nuts. Anytime I'm thinking about something that could potentially be stressful or something needs to get done, whatever it is, I'm like, JD, you're talking about college football for a living. 
smile, loosen up. This is unbelievable. And that's a hundred percent the truth and the reality. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in and allowing us to do this. We're going to keep the party rolling. Nick break on the ones and twos doing the heavy lifting. Follow him on Twitter. If you haven't yet, and we're going to continue to keep this thing uh, humming at a, at a really high rate. Like I said, content every single day. We're going to keep playing with this long form of what we do here. Podcast will be out on Apple and Spotify, wherever you get it. Twitter spaces every Tuesday, 1 Eastern, 12 Central. And we're going to get this thing rolling. I'm excited for it. Football season is almost here. Once you're a part of it, so subscribe to the channel. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for watching. Subscribe to the channel here to make sure you don't miss an episode of The Hard Count. Also, be sure to check out other videos on the On3 YouTube channel. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-420-47 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.